Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, how incredibly awesome you are, Lord. I love our music, and I love the way that it sings praise to you and lifts you up. Lord, we read of your power and your might over the universe, and we are so incredibly insignificant. And how much smaller we must truly be before you. We are so undeserving of your kindness and your generosity, and especially of your love. Your love is greater than all we could imagine. It's greater than all the heavens. And we are so incredibly undeserving, Lord. We are overcome, literally, by the kindness of your love. Even the greatest things that we can imagine are just figments of what you truly are. Lord, we are so incredibly lost without you in the same way. Our sin and our failure weigh us down as though we were cast in a solid block of concrete and thrown into the ocean. And we forget to look to you. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We ask you to be with us. Remind us so that we do not fall short. Let us not follow after our own hearts, but only to you should we look. Give us wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah and to understand them. Give us discernment, Lord. Heavenly Father, I have a special request this morning. My good friend Chris Miller lost his father-in-law this week, and I know how difficult that is being for him. He loves your son. In this difficult time, I ask you to be with Chris and his whole family, and especially Chris's wife, for losing her father. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reminded this week, I used to have these conversations online with people, and I was amazed who these people were. This one gentleman I used to talk to, his name was Eric Schelling. Eric Schelling was born in the 1920s. Imagine this, okay? It's the 1990s. So he's in his 70s, late, mid-70s, mid to late 70s, and he's online, and he's having this conversation with me. And um, as the world was headed towards World War II in the late 1930s, he knew something was going to happen, that, and it was going to be bad. And there was really nothing that the United States was doing at that time. He was a pilot. And then there was a man named Claire Chenault who was trying to set up a volunteer group of pilots to help out the Chinese because Japan had invaded China in 1937. 
And so they established this small group of people, and they were called the American Volunteer Group, the AVG. And they decided that their mascot, their logo, would be a flying tiger. And they were the flying tigers. And here I was talking with this gentleman, Eric Schilling. And if you go look up history of the flying tigers, you're going to find the name Eric Schilling in there. It's spelled with a K, E-R-A-K. And I used to talk with him. Another gentleman I had conversations with was a, a guy named Jeff Alexander. Jeff Alexander was a Spitfire pilot for the RAF in World War II. He joined the RAF right at the very end of World War II. He was born in the early 1930s. He was a very young man um, at the end of World Sorry, it must have been in the late 1920s. But Jeff somehow knew Sir Ian Bonham Carter. And Carter eventually rose to become an air vice marshal in the RAF, one of the top generals in the RAF. And I used to have these conversations with Jeff, and he was a part of the Battle of Britain Memorial Group. And when they would go and do these big celebrations and air shows, they would fly Spitfires, and, and it turns out that he was one of the last people to to fly a Lancaster bomber, a four-engine bomber that the British built. They were known as the Dam Busters at one point. And uh, he was one of the last pilots that flew one. And so when the British had restored one and they needed to fly it, they went looking for somebody who could be on the flight crew. And so he ended up the co-pilot for this very first flight. And one of these hadn't flown for like 30 years. And they're asking him to go do this. And he was laughing about it because he, he knew as much as they did, and maybe even less. He, he used, to, used to laugh about it. He was at the University of Nottingham. Interesting. And uh, he was in the agriculture department. I don't know what he did there. And he's, he's gone now also. There were a few others. One of the other gentlemen that I ran into, and the amazing thing is I found him this week and we're talking again. The man's name was Henry Matthews. And I want you to imagine this, okay? There is an American university in Beirut, Lebanon. And he is on the staff, on the teaching staff there. The man's name is Henry Matthews. Henry and I connected earlier this week. I went looking for him and I found his email. And I dropped him a note. And he was astonished to, to find me. And... Um, he writes a series of aviation history books. And Henry and I are, are talking again. So I have a homework assignment to get back out to NASA and look a couple things up for him in the, the log books that we have out there. History is an amazing thing to look back at and think about what it must have been like. We have some of that today in this lesson that we have from Isaiah. And I have to be honest with all of you. I struggled with this particular passage some because it seems like there's pieces of it that are disjoint, that it, it doesn't quite, it do, definitely does not flow with the message that we normally have. And 
perhaps we'll all learn something from this. God will reveal something through the, through the words of Isaiah here. So we're going to talk about these kingdoms and the cities that go with them, Tyre and Sidon. Both of them are cities that still exist, and they're port cities on the west coast of modern Lebanon. Sidon claims to be older, but both of these cities are perhaps in the list of six oldest cities that have been permanently inhabited from the time that they were first founded. So archaeology tells us that there was a small community at Tyre that dates back to about 3000 BC. So this city has existed for 5,000 years. I want you to think about that, 5,000 years. Written history, written history only goes back about 8,500 years. So this goes a long, long ways back. Um, Tyre is um, about 5,000 years old. Sidon appears to be about 800 years older. There was a small village there at at the town of Sidon. Um, the two are separated by about 30 miles on the coast. Tyre is to the south, Sidon to the north, and another 30 miles north of there is Beirut. To the east of Sidon is Mount Hermon, and it's a high peak in the mountains that are the spine of Lebanon. And I know this might be a little hard to imagine, but these are very high mountains, and it turns out that they're snow-covered, in the wintertime, a little bit like the mountains that ring the Antelope Valley here. And so I, I, I have difficulty imagining this desert in the Middle East that has mountains with snow on top of them. But there's photographs of this and the, the, the city of Sidon and the, the skyline of Sidon and Mount Hermon in the back and there's snow on the top of it. By the way, every time I get up to, to preach one of these things and we're talking about a particular place, I go look it up. And the photographs are of, of these modern cities and these places that I'm reading about in Isaiah just blow my mind because I, I have this one image of what it must have been like for Isaiah. And then I have these images of, you know, this place with traffic and street lights and, and, and the, the dichotomy between the two is difficult for me to, to imagine. Both were famous ports. Both had strong commercial success. And mostly, oddly, in dyed purple cloth, mostly linen, and also in coinage. They would stamp their own coins out of precious metals, gold and silver mostly. Both cities suffered terribly with the invasion of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then later, the Persians. Tyre was besieged by Sennacherib for 13 years. And because Tyre was a island city, the people would get onto ships and depart to flee from the battle. And of course, it would be the rich people that could do this, that could pick up and grab what wealth of theirs that they had, and they would escape to places like Carthage, which is in modern Tunis, in the western Mediterranean, or even Tarshish, 
Um, it turns out we believe Tarshish is actually a city not far from Seville, Spain. So the, these people would flee to these places where there was relative peace at that time. By the way, uh, the, the, uh, the evacuation of Tyre, there's a clay drawing that exists of ships departing for Car Carthage. And this drawing was done in clay in about 702 BC. And it was found in Babylonia, of all places, the ruins of Babylon. And this is the people fleeing the city of Tyre before the Babylonian army. Tyre was later besieged by Alexander the Great. Tyre was an island city just offshore from the coast, about a half a mile. During a very low tide, you could walk along the reefs through the water from the coast out to the city. So when Alexander shows up, he builds a causeway from the rubble of the city that's on the shore side. He takes all that rubble and he piles it up. And he makes a causeway all the way out to the main part of the city, the fortification. And he besieged Tyre for seven months until it fell. Many of the rich merchant class, of course, escaped in the ships again and went to Carthage. Today, the old city of Tyre is on a peninsula. And if you go visit it, the neck of the peninsula is the causeway that Alexander the Great and his army built. And if you drive your car out to where the, the fortification is at the end of the peninsula, this is what the causeway is. And this is one of the cities we're talking about today in Isaiah. And Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on both Tyre and on Sidon. We think that this is rather symbolic because we do not have the specifics included to place these particular events in a particular time in history. Of course, we know that Babylon, the Assyrians come first, then Babylon, and are waging war against the Judeans. And this is what they're concerned mostly about. And of course, Isaiah himself. Sidon in particular retains a shipbuilding reputation to this day. I mentioned my friend um, who was the, at the American University in Beirut. This was in the middle 1990s. He and I were talking. And I'm seeing all these images of Beirut. And some of you may recall the, the Marines having a huge disaster that happened to them there. So our passage today is all of chapter 23. Again, this occurs in three sets. The first set is a fairly long song, verses 1 through 12. And the last two sets are short, verses 13 to 15 and verses 16 to 18. So let's go ahead and start. Isaiah 23 Verse 1. 
the oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste, without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. So this is a vision of judgment against Tyre. And he's talking to the merchant ships that come from Tarshish, from the east coast of Spain, we think. The exact place of Tarshish is still not known today. And it's believed to possibly be a port city of the Tartessos near Seville, Spain. Tyre is laid to waste. No houses, no harbor. All the way to the island of Cyprus, the carnage of Tyre is known. The harbor of Tyre is still a beautiful natural harbor with a natural reef forming a sea break. In ancient times, David and Solomon made friends with King Hiram of Tyre. Hiram sent cedars from Lebanon for the house of David and later for the temple of Solomon. Solomon rewards Hiram with 20 cities in the north of Israel. Now the interesting thing is we believe that Nazareth was one of these 20 cities that was given to Hiram. 1 Kings 5, and this is verse 1 and then verse 8 to 11. 1 Kings 5, 1 and 8 through 11. Now King Hiram of Tyre was sent his servants to Solomon when he heard they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Jumping down to verse 8. And Hiram said to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent to me. I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon. I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And I will have them broken there, broken up there, and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired. While Solomon gave 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil, Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year. Another interesting thing, the Hebrews were a land-dwelling people. They feared the sea. They really, they did not want to... So this makes the entire story of, of uh, Job very interesting. And Paul as well his sea voyages. But the, the Hebrews really feared the sea. So when Solomon needed sailors for his navy, Hiram supplied them for the ships, both for the merchants and for the navy. So in 1 Kings 9.27, 1 Kings 9.27, we read, And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. Later on, 1 Kings 10, 22. 1 Kings 10, 22. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So the merchant trade here was extensive between Sidon, Tyre, Tarshish, 
Carthage. These goods from the entire known civilized world came to Tyre and Sidon, and then, subsequently, to Israel. Psalm 48.7. Psalm 48.7. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. So because of all this, Solomon gives Hiram 20 cities in Galilee. And the clear implication here is that one of these cities is Nazareth. So 1 Kings 9, 11 to 13. 1 Kings 9, 11 to 13. And Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold, as much as he desired. King Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, they did not please him. And therefore, he said, What kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? And so they are called the land of Kabul to this day. The word Kabul means worthless. And so when Jesus begins calling his disciples to come and follow him, this particular exchange happens. 1 John 46. John, sorry, John 1, 46. John 1, 46. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So this reputation goes on for a long time after the event happens, that Nazareth is a worthless place. Back to Isaiah 23, verses 2 and 3. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast, the merchants of Sidon who cross the sea, have filled you, and on many waters your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Sidon is also one of these great trade kingdoms. By the way, the land of Shihor is Egypt. Sidon is the merchant of the nations. Continuing on in Isaiah, verse 4. Be ashamed, O Sidon, For the sea is spoken, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. So here in verse 4, the sea laments and is saddened by the loss of lives, the young men and the young women. The warning is for Sidon to not be proud of its moment of Tyre's distress. Verse 5. When the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Egypt is distressed over the news of Tyre's fall. They have all these precious materials, and they no longer have anyone to trade with. And so they're distressed over this this report about Tyre falling before the Babylonians. Verses 6 and 7. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. 
Is this your exultant city, whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? So here in verses 6 and 7, the people are told to cross over to Spain, the city of Tartessos. The celebrated city of Tyre, the ancient city, whose inhabitants flee from before the invaders. This was said of Jerusalem last week, but it also fits Tyre as well. Isaiah 22, 2. Isaiah 22, 2. You who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town, your slain are not slain with the sword or dead in battle. I guess you could think of Tyre as being a little bit like Las Vegas. It has that kind of a reputation, that sort of a feel. That's what I imagine when I read this. Continuing on to verse 8. Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? So here again in verse 8, we have the emphasis on the wealth, the merchant class, the traders, the ships, you can imagine all of this, the extravagance, the wealth, the prestige, the, the honor that goes to these people. You can imagine that, right? Think about Hollywood today, Beverly Hills. Verse 9, the Lord of hosts had purposed it. To defile, to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. God has a purpose for these things. And it's fascinating to me that we live in the shadow of some of these things. We understand what they are. When I say these things, it conjures up certain images in your mind. These are the same sort of images that Isaiah is trying to raise up for the people who are reading this about Tyre and Sidon. They are those sorts of cities. So here's what it continues on to say, verses 10 and 11. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. So you can imagine this. O oh daughter, there is no rest anywhere. And the judgment that follows the proud, and unfortunately it injures the innocent as well, who are bystanders to all of this. Isaiah 37:22 Isaiah 37:22 This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him She despises you she scorns you the virgin daughter of Zion she wags her head behind you the daughter of Jerusalem This is what Jerusalem is thinking about Tyre and Sidon This is the way we think about places like Las Vegas right Verse 12, 
Isaiah writes, And he said, You will no more exult, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. Again, there's no rest for the innocent. The oppressors are close by when the Lord judges. And yet God treats Tyre and Sidon with a special care. Now this is Elijah, okay? And this is out of 1 Kings 17, 9 to 24. 1 Kings 17, 9 to 24. The widow of Zarephath. And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The next story. Elijah raises the widow's son. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come here to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And she took him from her arms, and he carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the supper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth 
is truth. All of this happens inside while Elijah is there. Later, Mark 7, 24 to 30. Mark 7, 24 to 30. The Syrophoenician woman's faith. It's talking about Jesus now. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Mark told that story. Matthew tells the story also. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. The faith of a Canaanite woman. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus visits Tyre and Sidon. If Jesus were here today, Jesus would go visit Las Vegas. Right? We talked about the one translation that didn't, it didn't fit because it translated the Hebrew into Greek. And it was the Greeks that the Pharisees were opposing because the Greeks were bringing all these foreign gods and trying to get the Hebrews to listen to their foreign gods and worship Zeus and Jupiter. And that, they were the Romans. But this was what the Greeks were trying to do. And now they're taking the scripture and translating it into their own language. But that's the language that everyone knew. That's the language that would reach out to the people. And so when Jesus comes, many years later, and we have this translation that's in Greek of the Pentateuch and the prophets and the Psalms and the wisdom literature, 
What does Jesus quote? Jesus doesn't quote the Hebrew. Jesus quotes the Septuagint, the Greek, so that everyone would understand what was being said. Jesus visits Sidon and Tyre. Let's continue on, verse 13. Behold the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Here in verse 13, Chaldea was a land beyond Babylon to the other side. Today, Chaldea lies approximately in the modern country of Kuwait. Chaldea was overrun by the Assyrians and then later by the Babylonians. And now, Tyre and Sidon suffer the same fate. And the Chaldeans have come with the Assyrians and the Babylonians to lay siege to their cities. Verse 14, again. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. The ships of Tarshish have no port at Tyre or Sidon anymore. Both of the cities are overrun. The trade of purple linens and precious gold and silver coins are no longer. It is all rubble and waste. Verse 15. In that day Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre, as in the song of the prostitute. Tyre suffers the 70 years under Babylonian captivity, along with the Judeans after the fall of Jerusalem. To the Babylonians, the Tyrrhenians, the Sidonians, and the Judeans are all the same. They're just Western foreigners who are captives, and they're slaves now. And these Western nations are looked down upon. Perhaps not dissimilar to the way that we look at Mexico. Babylon conquers Tyre in 689 B.C. The walls fall and the people are marched off. Verse 16. Take a harp. Go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melodies. Sing many songs that you may be remembered. Tyre is remembered for her debauchery, the chasing after the wealth and the ease of this world. Tyre would trade with anyone who had money. Ethics didn't matter. The ethics meant nothing so long as a profit could be made. Verses 17 and 18. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth, her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing 
for those who dwell before the Lord. And I read that and I go, what? (laughs) After a generation, the Tyrenians shall return and rebuild. And the life of Tyre will pick up right where it left off. Tyre and Sidon will do trade to the ends of civilization. And Tyre will bring wealth to Jerusalem as well. And that wealth will bring beauty and offering to God and to benefit God's people. That even the work of the lost has a purpose before God and in his will. This is something that I hadn't picked up on before until I got to these two verses. And there's this interesting, fascinating twist right there at the very end. Even the work of the lost has a purpose before God and in his will. And that's the end of our passage today. Isaiah is telling us many things will be different, difficult in this world. Life may not work out to be easy in this life. But the promise is there. God will be there in the end. God is the only one who can save. Jesus died on the cross to be there for us. Jesus is calling out to us. Jesus has to pay for our rebellion against God, for our sin for our unfaithfulness. Jesus takes our guilt away and our sin is atoned for by Jesus' death on the cross. And Isaiah is pointing us back towards God. Isaiah says, don't look at the Babylonians. Don't look at the Tyranians. Don't look at the Sidonians. Don't look at the ships. Look at God. Isaiah wants us to be more like Jesus. And the more we look towards Jesus, the more we become like him. God loves us all. Again, the chaos in the world, right? How we stumble into that and encounter that over and over. How this message sounds so much like the world we live in now. And I think about how I fail in my walk before God. And I have to rely on God's forgiveness. God's greatness will be there on that day, the day of the Lord. We will all be witness to his greatness and his splendor. God still chooses us and will be there for us on that day. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so great. And your promise is so clear. And you are faithful. Lord, you are faithful. We say you are a rock. And yet, Lord, you are far more than the rock could ever be. Lord, we keep looking at the ships, wondering when we should run for them, when we should be looking at you. 
You want us to hear you in Isaiah's words. You continue to protect us in the palm of your hand, and you lovingly guide us and care for us as we walk the path on this world. Heavenly Father, we ask you to hide your words in our hearts. We read the words of Isaiah. We ask you to write those words deep down inside of us. Give us those lessons we must learn from this, that we can learn only from you, only from your Son. Jesus quotes the Septuagint, and Jesus visits Tyre and Sidon. Tell us what that means and what that should be for us. Give us those lessons that we must know. Guide us in your perfect path. Your plan of redemption. Let us not try to smooth out your rock. Let it be the rough rock that you intend. Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us. We love you. We bless you and we honor you. We praise the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.